2.35 p.m. on this 9th of September. Let's go over to Andrew Dimbina joining us from Hong Kong. Are you on Lama, Andrew? Hello. Hello there. Yes, I'm in the uh, the Lama Island Control Centre for the uh, <laughs> yeah for, for the for the various work that I do. Um, nice. Yeah. How are you? I'm very good, thank you. I just uh, got my injection the other day, and I was uh, quite impressed at how efficient it, it, it all was. So I'm feeling joyful oh. and uh, protected at the moment. <laughs> Good, good. Was that the first one, or? or uh, yeah, the first yeah. one, and everyone yeah. warned me, and right. uh, I, I, I feel something. But luckily enough, I got through the whole day, and I, I felt fine. So, not looking Excellent. forward to the second one. Ah, <laughs> uh, keep positive. If you reacted that way with the first one, you'll be all right. True, yeah. true. Um, yeah, I, it's. Um, I mean, I, I actually had a little bit of a reaction at four a.m. having got the first one at wow. eleven uh, that the same day that that morning, yeah. uh, and then but then with the second one, I had nothing apart from a bit of a sore arm. So just uh, okay. yeah, hanging in there. Good to know. Yeah. And and, yeah. and with your arm, you probably couldn't draw as well as you normally do. <laughs> Well, made sure it was the one I don't draw with was the was the thing there. Genius, but, uh, but, but uh, it did still kind of alter my balance somewhat. It only lasted a few days though. So, yeah. <laughs> so what have you got yeah. to tell us about the um, the art world, the international art world today? <laughs> Well, I mean, I want to essentially dwell on, yes, the art world or things in the art world, which are not necessarily things to go and see and from all mm -hmm. outside of Hong Kong, really. Um, and I'll start off with uh, um, an, an interesting item just over a week ago, news item mm -hmm. in art, art press. Yeah, art press, and it made news pages as well because uh, it's to do with stolen art from big name artists. And these always make fascinating stories, I think. Yeah. Uh, this, this one... Yeah, this one really caught my eye. It's um, a drug baron. It's funny, isn't it? Media loves to call uh, <laughs> someone who's into big-time drug dealing as a baron. You don't really get that with other with other industries so much. <laughs> but anyway, um, um, so a drug baron uh, claims to have bought 20 euros worth of stolen Van Gogh paintings for what he calls their artistic value. Uh, by the way, that 20 million euros is, is worth about... 184 million Hong Kong dollars in Ooh, today's exchange. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it's um, it's it's an Italian uh, gangland type who has moved to Dubai and since uh, in recent times over the last 12 months, Italy and Dubai have firmed up extradition uh, laws between the two places. Uh, the ex-organized mm -hmm. uh, crime Italian resident uh, now may be uh, sent back to Italy to face justice. But actually, the, uh, the, the, the crime that took place originated in, uh, in, in Holland because uh, Van Gogh, uh, being Dutch himself, uh, two, two paintings of the late 20th century artist were stolen uh, mm -hmm. back, uh, yeah, way, way back in the late 1990s from the Van Gogh Museum um, around about, uh, uh, yeah, by, by Dutch thieves. And they ended up being suspected to be in the hands of uh, the, the gangster in question, who's got this, who, he, mm -hmm. actually he does have quite a, quite a noble surname. His name is Raphael Imperiale, like Imperial, <laughs> but with an E on the end. So everything, everything the, is rather grand about... Uh, the Imperial Baron, wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This sounds like a, a, a plot for a James Bond thriller or something. You know, it, it spans decades, it, it spans it countries, and it, wow. And millions yeah. and millions of dollars involved. <laughs> 
I know, I know. It's, it does sound it's all, all sort of hyped for uh, for fiction, doesn't it? Yes. Um, well, um, Mr. Imperiale hit the arts-related headlines five years ago mm-hmm. when Italian police, yeah, they found two lands- landscapes that were stolen from Amsterdam's Van Gogh Museum um, that were hidden in his family house just outside of Naples. <laughs> and the, yeah, the Italian authorities believe that Imperiale is, the, is a leading member of uh, a gang called the Amato Pagano, uh, which is an organised crime group operating in the Naples region, the typical, you know, dealing drugs and all that kind of scene that they're involved in. Mm. Um, And, yeah, in in January of this year, Imperiale was listed as among the six most wanted criminals in Italy, posing uh, maximum danger, in inverted commas, that's how the authorities uh, (laughs) describe him, and uh, (laughs) as well as as being responsible for loads of crime that they they need to kind of solve. Um, And on one occasion, uh, Imperiale's criminal projects did include uh, being involved with um, stolen art. So the the two Van Gogh paintings then mm-hmm. are from the artist's um, uh, period of more um, conservative painting before he got into bright colours that he did with sunflowers and his famous Starry Nights. Uh, painting and, and some of some of the latter stuff that he's better known for. So these look quite they're quite grey landscapes that come from uh, seascapes mm-hmm. in one case that, that come from the kind of grim northern European skies that <laughs> he lived in. And uh, and uh, they were um, uh, th- sorry the Italian police that raided the house. Uh, and, and found them, then tracked him down to having left and gone over to Dubai. So uh, when they found the paintings hidden in the walls that were ba- basically covered, you know, wow. in bricks and plaster, they had a big task to actually restore these. Uh, and two interesting discoveries were made. Mm-hmm. So th- it took three years to restore these back to something like their former glory in which they hung before they were stolen. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, wh- one of the things was there was a, a seascape there was the, of a painting called The View of Sea at Svengenigen, if I pronounce that correctly. Mm-hmm. And it had, a, it had a few grains of sand that were embedded into the brushed-on paint onto wow. the canvas. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and that's the first time that this has ever been noticed. It's only because of the very meticulous restoration process that was going on mm-hmm. that they actually got to the... Uh, Quite literally, the nitty gritty of what <laughs> the you know, of what the components were, of, wow. uh, you know, on the canvas, and so it supported evidence of a letter that had been found written in Van Gogh's hand um, that uh, uh, to his brother that he'd worked on the beach in that talking of when he was talking about this very painting, which is just outside the Hague in uh, in Holland, mm-hmm. and he'd written to his brother Theo saying that there was an appro- approaching storm as he was painting, and the wind was so strong, this is now in Van Gogh's words, the wind was so strong that I could barely stay on my feet and barely see through the clouds of sand around me. So uh, so it's really, it is, it's very interesting sometimes. Um, I think it's not only with art. There are some other, you know, antiques and artifacts where you can actually cast your mind back in a romantic way mm-hmm. to times where someone may have been a, a, alive, whether it's an artist like Van Gogh in this case, or an artisan that's making something if there are fingerprints left in some lacquer or something like that. Yeah. It's just, it gives that, hu- that that real kind of human additional story to, uh, to, yeah. to a mere painting. Do, yeah. do you think the, he this, meant, meant to put the yeah. sand grains in there intentionally? No. <laughs> it just blew no, in because it was so windy. Yeah. 
Wow. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and actually, and actually, with Van Gogh, that is an excellent question because mm-hmm. his his Starry Night uh, painting, which was uh, towards the latter few years of his life, and he did a few versions, but they're they're very famous uh, mm-hmm. of these kind of swirly. Um, constellations in the sky. He kind of put them into abstraction. Doesn't really look like the yeah, sky. Yeah, his signature. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, uh, he did actually add um, sand and round uh, granules of uh, of stone mm-hmm. into into his paint at that time wow. to thicken it up and give it some texture. Mm-hmm. But 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 at the time he was painting these these straightforward landscapes that were in colours that he thought he could really see. He was making them as representational as possible, mm-hmm. which was the time that this, this seascape was found. No, he didn't do that at all. But maybe mm. subconsciously, you might you might be onto a new theory, Billy. Maybe <laughs> subconsciously, <laughs> having got caught in that sandstorm, yeah. it, it just lo- it lodged somewhere in the you know in the mind that uh, that he might do it deliberately to uh, to thicken things up in the future. He's like, oh, oh, now I have to do it with everyone. Oh, jeez. <laughs> Yeah, that was it. Something happened to him in that storm. Yeah. Revelation. Um, so, the, but the the restoration guys, back to them. The yeah. second discovery that they made beyond mm-hmm. the uh, the actual sands that that can be um, traced back to that very beach mm-hmm. is that there were traces of a fake signature on the same painting that was known to not have a signature all of the time that it's been exhibited in wow. uh, in his in his old house yeah in Holland mm-hmm. um, it, this had never been found they had to go through such meticulous detail and really x-raying non-stop you know this doesn't normally go on when uh, a painting is attributed to an artist there's no reason to give it that much uh, sort of forensic investigation mm-hmm. so it, uh, yeah there was a but there was a, a a painting signature that had been identified on this work as being uh, not like his other signatures and it was uh, attributed to be added deliberately in 1903 it was, it was carbon dated it's been you know back to that time uh, when there was a Rotterdam uh, the 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 uh, the city of Rotterdam dealer that uh, that that took charge of the painting and must have either himself or commissioned someone to put on what he reckons looked like a Van Gogh signature a fake to signature. Up, the, up the value yes yeah to make it look you know to a, a potential collector or buyer that it was uh, going to be you know worth a bit more with that signature on that mm. so. Back to the resolution of justice, though, for these uh, stolen the uh, Baron. artworks. Yep. Yeah, mm-hmm. the Baron himself. Um, he is believed to be. He was. He was found to be living in Dubai um, at the start, start of uh, this year. So he, he disappeared completely. So the paintings were discovered in his family home, mm-hmm. and then he was nowhere to be seen. But in January this year, he openly gave an interview to a Naples newspaper called Il Matino, mm-hmm. uh, and he admitted, he admitted in that interview that he once owned the pictures. Now, uh, you know, there's been a, there's been a lot of discussion in both Italy and Holland about did he really take them or not? Of course, he must have done. Why would they be in the walls of his home if he hadn't, and all this kind of thing? But it was all speculation. Ah. And then he admitted that he owned the paintings, um, but he but he denied any involvement in theft. I mean, to the average person, I'm no detective, Billy. Don't know about you, but I think if I if I if I just had an interest in some hugely expensive twenty million euros worth of, of paintings, well, I, I mean, I, I security is important, but hiding them in my wall might not be the first choice. And if I can afford twenty million euros 
um, you know, and I bought them legitimately, um, then uh, I could probably afford some sort of, you know, I don't know, a safe box in a bank somewhere, for instance, if I don't, if I don't want to take the chance of having them on my walls. Yeah. Poor, poor Van Gogh. He was like, oh, I, I didn't des- draw these paintings to have them hidden in uh, a, a baron's wall. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, actually, Noreen and I have had this uh, discussion about people who buy art for investment a couple of times. Mm. And um, I, I mean, it, it, the same artist, Van Gogh, I remember um, in, it, must, it goes back uh, to my art student days when I heard that uh, it happened to be Japan where mm. there were uh, some of his famous sunflower paintings sold and they were they never saw the light of day. They were Aww. kept in vaults by the Japanese collectors and there were consortiums of collectors who put money together mm-hmm. because it's such a such an obviously sound investment to then sell them onto museums. But yeah, I agree. It's yeah. a shame when things aren't seen. So um, uh, just a, an extra detail on this because it's such a fascinating story, it I is. find. I it hope, is. Hope yeah. it's, uh, um, it, one of the recent reports um, about this whole case said that uh, um, art is sometimes used as collateral by the underworld um, for purchase of drugs. They, mm-hmm. uh, they will lend, lend an artwork, uh, uh, so the, the, the buyer will lend a very um, uh, highly priced artwork in return for contraband, which mm-hmm. can it's like a br- it's like a bridge loan, if you will. And it's, loan, um, yeah. To be <laughs> yeah, to be to, so the artwork would you know is to be returned when the uh, proceeds are made from made from selling stuff on the streets mm-hmm. to uh, and then and then they can pay and get the artwork back. But it's interesting; it shed a bit of light on uh, on why. Uh, someone in a major crime ring might be involved. Not to say that they wouldn't have any interest in uh, in beautiful artworks, but um, mm-hmm. but, it, but I think there may have been some more practical reasons at play there. So yeah. uh, perhaps perhaps, uh, perhaps Imperiale's impending <laughs> Italian trial with the extradition will throw fresh light on uh, on what the idea of having these were, but probably not. Probably <laughs> probably keep quiet. I should imagine. So, well, you never know. He did yeah. admit it in a newspaper article, and he just hid them in his own home walls. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, not not the cleverest one, perhaps. I mean, you know, it, it'll be an interesting one to watch what else comes out of this when he is uh, uh, sent back to Italy, which looks likely to happen quite soon. Wow. Yeah. On, on, on to something, yes, yeah, on to something completely different, uh, still in the same part of the world. Yep. Um, it was, it's to do with live music festivals in the UK. Nice. And, um, yeah, thousands of revelers have gathered uh, in the last weekend, in the last couple of days of August, to uh, to go to the Reading and Leeds music festivals. Ah. Now, the Reading, yeah, yeah, the Reading music festival, decades and decades ago, was a freestanding thing, but it joined, it teams together with one in Leeds, mm-hmm. in the north of England, because uh, Reading is a bit further south, um, to hold a pair of simultaneous music festivals in different parts uh, of the UK, then north and south, at the same time, and then some of the headliners was kind of hoof between the two, or mm-hmm. well, probably in private jets rather than hoofing. <laughs> yeah. and, uh, uh, and so um, it was the first time for these two, this pair, to be able to return uh, for two years, because the last two years, they've, uh, you know, COVID pandemic has, has made it impossible to do so. Yeah. So, um, yeah, uh, there, there were there were um, thousands that showed up over the weekend, the last weekend in August, but they didn't only watch music for three days, those that stayed for the duration. They were also camping. So it's just a, an indication of how um, of how things are getting very back to normal. I've spoken in previous weeks about theatre mm-hmm. returning since, since COVID restrictions have uh, 
pretty much dropped. Nice. There are some some minor reject, uh, restrictions in the UK, but uh, of course, always fingers crossed that this isn't going to lead to uh, you know some sort of big passing on thing, uh, yeah. because people are not, are not wearing masks while they're attending these things. So it's uh, yeah. I, I've seen pictures um, online. It, it really looks like things are getting back to normal. Crowds everywhere and stuff like that. And I think they've had well, a few few yeah. concerts, and they've managed to keep it controlled for now. So Touchwood. Well, that's the thing. The, the, yeah, that's exactly it. The attendees do have to show that they've had both vaccinated to like two injections mm -hmm. and uh, either that or to have had a test within the last uh, week mm. that uh, that they are negative for COVID. That's the way that it's controlled. But we a weird thing here, given what I've just said, <laughs> is that there are that is that there were government, UK government pop-up COVID jab stations available on site. Wow. Well, I don't, I mean, I've, I've read a couple of reports on this before speaking today. I can't see the logic and if you're going to refuse someone at the door for not having both jabs then why do you got those there unless unless someone unless they're doing boosters i don't know but it was uh, <laughs> so um the yeah the, the, the headliners were stormzy and uh, liam gallagher played as well both of those two were were the main headliners that people uh, in Hong Kong will have heard of mm. and uh, they, they got people singing along, I've seen some video clips you know, it's that kind of real feeling I think people wow. were so starved of live music on a big scale, feeling that sound of a crowd, you're in a crowd singing along together mm. do, you, do you do that sort of thing, uh, Billy, if you ever turn up at Clock and Flap, see a band you like, to sing along? Uh, occasionally, I went to see Massive Attack, yeah. um, I remember watching Oasis back in the day when they came to Hong Kong around 97 yeah. 98 yeah and then one of yeah. my friends had to be pulled out of the front because he thought it was too much for him <laughs> it was that, we, 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 we might have literally brushed shoulders because i was also uh at that same concert were you the, on stage the, the, sing, singing along with liam <laughs> no no i was there I, I was i was there with uh with my wife who uh who, nice. was, who was who was who was kind of uh yeah but, that, but she was a bit kind of also um yeah, we were quite near the front, and uh, she wasn't enjoying the uh, the kind of uh, emotion of the crowds going a bit nuts. Yeah, if, so, if, you, uh, <laughs> if you're not ready for it, these these concerts can yeah. be quite full on. You really have to kind of be in the mindset to to deal with it. You know, absolutely. All standing, and if people are really moving at some speed from left to right, and uh, yeah. possibly had a unit, a unit or two of, uh, of drink beforehand, it can oh, be gosh. a little uns unsettling. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> there, there. Yeah, I mean, there are other back to the UK. There are other festivals, as you say. You've seen some, and I've mentioned some in previous weeks that mm. have uh, that have that have been trying to get together. But what the difference between the Reading and Leeds one mm -hmm. is that they started from scratch with who they were going to have playing. They wanted it. As they say, they claim, I should say, they, mm -hmm. they wanted to make sure that they had acts that were playing that were as relevant as possible now because they believed that they hmm. wouldn't necessarily be the same lineup as the one from 2020 that they had to cancel. I think it's mm -hmm. a little snipe at the, at the other gigs and uh, sorry, the other festivals and saying how much better they, they think they are because they said a lot of the other. Um, lineups for other festivals that have gone ahead simply use the same lineup from a year ago. Now, <laughs> I don't, I, you know, I, I guess for younger music fans, um, I think about back to my own teenage times, there is a big difference between what can be in trend 
from one year to the other, isn't there? I certainly wouldn't think so now, uh, at the age I am now, I mean. But mm. uh, but I suppose uh, uh, the the other thing that they said, the organisers, was the the, uh, the reason the twin events have become such a rite of passage for mm-hmm. teens. Oh, there you go, teens, uh, <laughs> across the country, is that they uh, keep their finger on the pulse of, uh, of you know, what is popular. Huh. So other... Uh, other yeah, other other one, others that that, uh, that, that were uh, headlining along with those other big names I mentioned were Biffy Clyro mm-hmm. and emo rapper Post Malone, mm-hmm. uh, as well as uh, an, a new um, alt band or newish called Catfish and the Bottle Man. Hmm. Don't know if they're on the playlist. So you, I don't know if you're going to let that <laughs> get a few bar bars of that after today's report. Really. <laughs> I'll see but, if I can uh, find some catfish. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now I, I was I was going to mention a very very briefly a last report. I don't know. Have sure. I got time with you? There? Yeah, go for it. Yeah. You got four, okay. four minutes so, or so. Yeah, fine. Sure. Okay, so moving to another part of the world. Mm-hmm. Um, Cuba. Cuba. Um, the country, yeah, the, the, uh, the country Cuba is on the brink as artistic voices refuse to be silenced. Mm. That was according to the art newspaper. Um, uh, lo- last month, Amnesty International named the Cuban artists Hamlet La Vista, uh, Luis Manuel... Uh, Alicantara and four others as prisoners of conscience. Mm-hmm. Uh, pe- and, and the statement from Amnesty International said, people in prison because of their political, religious or other beliefs, uh, including artistic, who have not used or advocated violence um, should not be incarcerated. So uh, Am- Amnesty International uh, said that... Uh, uh, the, the the two artists whose names I mentioned are are outspoken critics of the government and uh, mm-hmm. uh, and and of government repression in in Cuba and they've been held in maximum security prisons on trumped up charges for several months. That's an Amnesty International's statement. Mm. Um, so also in August, the Cuban government passed a new decree limiting the use of social media and images on social media as well. Um, these new laws make it a crime to incite acts that alter public order, they say. Mm. And almost immediately after this was announced, uh, sorry, almost immediately after it was announced last month that there was going to be the 14th Havana Biennial, Biennial which is a two-year uh, art exhibition in Havana, mm-hmm. uh, that it was going to go ahead in November under the title um, it, the, the theme for this November is future and contemporaneity. Mm-hmm. Uh, cult, cultural leaders and artists have called for a boycott of the biennial. Now, a biennial, which happens in Venice and different parts of the, in the in the world, hopefully, I really hope there's going to be one at M Plus when it opens and gets running. Um, yeah. The uh, is is an inv- invitation for artists from around the world to show their work. So um, the the organizer, um, um, one of the traditional organizers, though. Um, says that Cuban artists who respect themselves as human beings should uh, choose not to participate. It's one of the mm. um, organising committee who runs a commercial art gallery. Um, at the moment, there's a, a substantial number of women, men, adolescents and young and old who are unjustly imprisoned, humiliated, incommunicado, and among them are artists and photographers and writers and so, so she, so it's, it's caused a bit of a, the announcement of something that should have been, um, in normal times, a happy occasion to be returning to a massive two-yearly, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, exhibition that has artists from around the world showing, has been um, turned into 
something of a question mark in the art community and the wow. community at large in Cuba. Sounds quite and co- controversial. That, who, who, who would yeah, knew that it, uh, doing art would lead you in jail? Well, who could imagine that, Billy? Hard yeah. to imagine, indeed. It is. It is. Uh, as a final, as a final reminder, actually, if I can just really quickly squeeze sure. this in, if you haven't seen it already and mm. you want to, this is to the listener and to you, Billy. Mm-hmm. The surrealism exhibition curated by the Pompidou Centre oh, in yes. Paris is still on in the Museum of Art Chimsa Choi until next Wednesday, after which you won't be able to see it again. It's been one of the best big, serious modern art exhibitions this year. Search details online at hk.art.museum to find out more. Brilliant. I want to check that out. Surreal, Dali, and all that kind of stuff. Indeed, he's there. Thank you, Andrew. Have, have a great Thursday, and we'll see you back here next Thursday, probably with Noreen. Thanks. Thanks, Billy. Have a good afternoon. Cheers. Have a good one. That was Andrew Dambina there. Talking all things art, he'll be back next Thursday at the same time.